And that's where kind of despite our differences, we're all working towards the same goal together. And that's actually one of the most powerful ways that communities, groups, individuals with differences can mesh together their differences and actually create that solidarity moving forward. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? I am recording this intro from a new location. I have moved from Toronto to Orlando, although temporarily. I don't actually know how long we're going to be here. Last week, Molly and I hopped in the car and made the 21-hour total drive down to Orlando. We split it up over two days. And the reason we came down is because Eric has been living here for, I think, a month and a half now and playing his season down here because the border between Canada and the U.S. is still closed. So Toronto FC cannot play their games in Canada. So they've kind of relocated and made Orlando their home base. We are set up here with a bunch of other families from the team in these villas that are really close to Disney World, and it's an awesome setup. Mostly, I'm just so happy that me, Eric, and Molly can all be together. We're in a really nice space, and to be honest with you all, the craziest part is how normal life is down here. Now, I don't necessarily think that's because cases are super low in Florida. I think it's just because of the culture here and the way that people are embracing their freedom and a little bit like, you know what? If you're worried, if you're high risk, then stay home, take whatever precautions you need, but let's not stop life. Let's not shut down all these businesses and make everyone suffer against their will. So it's interesting and incredibly freeing, to be honest. We are still being careful. Eric now has gotten two doses of the vaccine and he'll be fully vaccinated in, I believe, a week or so. I got my first dose. I'm slotted to get my second in a couple of weeks. So within a month or so, we are both going to be fully vaccinated. Until then, we're being careful, but I feel just such a sense of relief being able to interact with people, Obviously, the weather is super hot down here, so it's easy to do everything outside, but it's really nice. Luckily, I'm able to work virtually because pretty much all of the work that we're doing with DTS right now is online and I can work remotely, so I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I'm very interested to see what the next couple of months will bring. We don't really have an end date, for when we will head back to Toronto or potentially I'll head back to the Midwest to be with family. It's a little bit up in the air, but I am very happy to at least be settled here for the next couple of weeks in what is a really nice 
scenario. And at first, when I heard that we were going to be relocating to Orlando, we didn't think Molly was going to be able to come, which made me so sad not knowing how long we were going to be apart from her. But then that changed, which is the reason that I drove all the way down here because I can just load her up in the car and bring her. So I'm feeling peaceful knowing that at least the family is all together. So it doesn't really matter all that much how long we have to be here. So that is my short and sweet life update. I'm definitely sending love to all of my friends back in Toronto. I was feeling just sort of the collective frustration and emotional challenges that I know everyone is going through there. So I'm also really happy that the weather is going to be changing a little bit there as well because I think that will lift everyone's spirits and make them feel a little bit less suffocated being at home. But sending love to everyone in Toronto, I truly, truly believe, especially seeing how things are here in the States with vaccines, I truly believe the light is at the end of the tunnel. Once we get enough of the population vaccinated, things are really going to take a turn. We're going to hit an inflection point. So all we can do is continue to stay safe, do our best, take care of ourselves as much as we can, and definitely look forward to that. Now for this week's episode of the podcast. I had the chance to sit down with Amina Khan, who is the founder and CEO of Amana Fitness. And interestingly, Amina was tuning in from Australia. So it was interesting with the crazy time difference, figuring out when would be a good time for both of us to sit down for a podcast. So I think it was 8 a.m. in the morning, my time when we recorded, and 10 p.m. at night when we recorded for her. So super grateful to Amina for making it work even with that discrepancy in our time zones. I met Amina because we got to speak on a panel together at the beginning of March. And I think what Amina does is awesome. Amana Fitness provides a space where Muslims can learn about health and fitness. You'll hear it directly from Amina in this episode. So I don't want to speak for her, but what it sounds like is that a lot of Muslims don't necessarily see themselves represented in the fitness industry, represented in wellness spaces. So it is Amina's mission to create that space that is inclusive of Muslims and also respects the Muslim faith while promoting fitness and better nutrition and better wellness overall. It's an interesting time of year for Amana Fitness specifically because we are in the middle of Ramadan. Ramadan is ending here in about a week or so. But one of the things that Amina has done is that she has created this Ramadan Reset Program, which helps those that do observe Ramadan to still lean into their health and wellness during that time of fasting. Amina is also pursuing her PhD in health psychology. She's a CanFit Pro certified fitness instructor, and her mission is to improve health in the Muslim community after her own 60-pound weight loss journey, which she also spoke about a bit on this episode. Amina is very passionate 
about creating inclusive spaces in fitness. I also think this is such an important topic, which is why I really wanted to have Amina on How Do You Feel? Okay, everyone, that's enough for me, I think. I hope you all enjoy hearing from Amina Khan. Hi, Amina. Good morning for me. Good evening for you. (laughs) Yes, hey, Casey. It's so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for agreeing to come on. Oh, thanks. I'm excited for a chat today. Yeah, I think that what you do and the topics that you speak about are fantastic. So when we did the Women's Day panel together with CanFit Pro and I heard you speak live, I was like, man, that is someone that I want to get to know more. And I think my listeners can really benefit from hearing from. So this should be an awesome chat. That is so sweet of you. And you know, your presentation at the Women Who Influence event as well, like it was so practical and and I loved it. So I feel like we have good synergy. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Okay, we are in the middle of Ramadan right now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about how Ramadan has been for you so far this year. How are things? Yeah, Ramadan's been awesome. Um, so I guess for those who might not um, kind of have heard about Ramadan or, or know how it kind of works. So basically, um, every year, Muslims will go through a period of 30 days where from um, dawn to sunset, we fast from food and water. It's similar to intermittent fasting, except we're also going without water. So is that food or water? So for, for my part in the world, it's about like a 12 hour fast and around Canada and in those areas, it's, um, you know, 17 hours or so. So we're going through, the, through that period uh, without food or water, but it's this amazing kind of process because first of all, there's a lot of health benefits of fasting, right? And a lot of that literature that has, you know, been that digging into that intermittent fasting literature that, you know, there's so much that happens in the body as, you know, as you really allow yourself to transition into that fasting state, you know, you got beautiful effect of, of fasting on the body. And then also that, that amazing process that happens when you're just tapping into that discipline that's required to go through fasting, which is, it's, it's an amazing experience. So it's a special time of year. Um, you know, we're focused uh, a lot on, you know, kind of increased in prayers and charity. It's, it's really a month of giving. So yeah, there's, there's so much going on. Um, but of course, within all of that, we must face special attention to our health. So it's been, it's also a busy time for us at Amana Fitness. You know, we're educating about health and fitness in Ramadan and how to, you know, really keep up our health and, and our workouts and stay safe while fasting. Um, so yeah, there's, there's so much going on, but I love it. It's a very special time of year. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it sounds like such a, such a beautiful time with such a nice intention of sort of both turning inward and also giving and of service to others and of, of yes. empathy. And I just think that's such a lovely thing to do on a yearly uh, basis. That's a really good way to put it. it. It really is about that. It's about kind of that turning inwards and then also, you know, really being and, and reflecting on how we can kind of be of, of service to the community as well. Um, and so, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the problem that you identified as a trainer. You were seeing that people were struggling during this time. And then what kind of solutions are you providing through Amana Fitness for for this time of year? Right, right. So in Ramadan, it's it's a really interesting situation because 
Fasting is such an awesome experience for your body to go through. Yet at the same time, there are some very unique health challenges that come up that we have to address in order to experience this successful fast. So some of the challenges that emerge is that for this month, um, we're basically having this chronobiological phase shift. So for many of us, because we have evening prayers, we're having a, a shift in our sleeping. We're going from a three meal a day setup to a bimodal food intake timing. So there's a shift in our eating. So essentially it's like your body kind of, even though no one's traveling right now, our body is kind of traveling into Ramadan. So for many of us at that first week, especially you'll kind of experience these like jet lag symptoms as you're kind of getting used to this new phase shift. Um, so a big part of, of dealing with that um, is about creating regularity in your schedule as quickly as possible and then forming those healthy habits. And a lot of times that when people are fasting, they'll mistake in some of the, the kind of tiredness or low energy towards the end of the fasting day and, you know, think that, oh, it's because I'm fasting, but actually it's because we need to get regular. We need to get moving. We need to drink more water in our non-fasted hours. We need to get really intentional about our healthy eating it, when we break our fast. And when those um, habits are in place, the fast is so much more energetic, such a, such a better improved experience for the body. So because it is a strenuous process for your body to go through these fasting uh, days, it's, it's that much more important to really dial in your, your fitness, your nutrition, and your rest in this time. So that's really that conversation that we're having um, and really kind of doing that process of education on the importance of this, making it simple and doable because the Ramadan schedule is really busy, right? You're fasting, then we're going out to, for, for community prayers, and then, you know, you're prepping meals at home with your family. So there's a lot happening. So our, our really big priority here is to make workouts that are simple, they're manageable, they're for the entire family, um, and to really kind of condense all of this knowledge and information into a very short amount of time and simplify. It. So we're dealing with a lot of families who maybe haven't been working out in Ramadan previously. And so then we're creating this kind of this paradigm shift that, you know, bringing back this, this discussion of health and fitness within the fasting sphere. So it's, it's a lot, but really simplifying is, is really what we're all about here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that intention. Um, it's interesting with fitness, right? Sometimes like when we're tired, we feel mm -hmm. like we don't have the energy to move, but we forget that in moving, it will bring our energy up. So I can That's imagine, so <laughs> yeah, so I can imagine that most people during this time are like, well, I'm fasting, you know, my sleep schedule feels different. I'm feeling lower energy potentially at points in the day. And so mm -hmm. they could say, well, that means that I can't work out, but I love how you're, you're showing people there are simple ways that we can still engage in movement to help Absolutely. make the whole experience better. It sounds like. Yeah, there's so many incredible Muslim athletes as well who are dialing in such high levels of performance in Ramadan. And so it's almost kind of taking a lot of that kind of research that shows what our bodies are capable of and then translating it for the average, average Muslim family to really get those benefits as well. Yeah, so interesting. Just out of curiosity, for my own sake, can you just give me yeah. a rundown of kind of what your schedule looks like? Do you wake before yeah. sunrise to eat a meal? Then, yeah. fast, then you break your fast, then sleep. Like what's your sort of rhythm during this time? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically we're waking up at around 5am, um, for a quick pre-dawn meal. So that's really, you're aiming for like nutrient dense, like overnight oats is like a popular community favorite. Then we'll have our morning prayers, probably head back for a nap for a bit, then wake up, you kind of go through your day. Um, and then throughout the day we have like, you know, just short, uh, short prayers that we go through it through the day. Muslims pray five times a day. Again, just kind of tapping into that inward reflection throughout the day. 
And then at around uh, sunset time, that's when we break our fast. So then we'll have kind of that, um, that nice post fast meal. Um, and again, this is a challenge for many people. That's where after you know, you, you have all these beautiful cultural foods. I mean, so many families love having that. And so many of us will slip into overeating. So we're really focusing on dialing that, dialing that back in and kind of making sure that that's a priority on that health education um, as well. So then you, you break your fast then. And then um, many, many families will go out and then go to the mosque and do community prayers for about an hour and a half. Um, Although this year and especially last year, you know, many of us were in lockdown as well. So depending on kind of where you are in the world right now, some of us can't go to the mosque. And that, that was a big shift as well, right? Because Ramadan is such a community experience. So that was a really big shift. But our mosque is open um, with all the safety protocols. So we're heading out to the mosque. Then we come back. And then, um, you know, depending on kind of the day. So that's kind of where you'll fit in your workout. So either I'll work out fasted before I break my fast. Or I'll work out after we come back from the mosque, um, you know, in the evening, that's a non-fasted workout, super safe then. Um, so either I work out then, then basically you have kind of some time in the evening, chill, relax, and then, uh, yeah, head to bed early because you're, you're up early the next day as well. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your sort of start in fitness. Mm-hmm. Had this sort of personal change story. Yes. <laughs> and then I, I feel from you that it really comes from that place that it inspired you to also help others to make some really impactful changes in their life. So can you just tell us about your, your start into fitness, where that came from and sort of where you yeah. were? At I definitely did have my own fitness journey. Where I kind of started from was, um, you know, I had struggled with my weight my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that was really something that was was just such a challenge for me. I had really been struggling with diet culture for so long. And diet culture is so uh, difficult to deal with because you're constantly being set up to feel like a failure, right? Like it's always about what you're not doing versus fitness culture is very empowering because it's learning what you can do and how much more you're able to do. Mm -hmm. So I struggled with my weight my whole life being in that kind of diet trap cycle. And then, you know, later as I, as I continue to, to deal with that, I finally started to think about, okay, what if I try and focus less on dieting culture and more on fitness? And that was really where that shift happened for me 10 years ago, where I finally started seeing that momentum and instead of feeling like I was constantly struggling, I started getting excited about what I could do more and more of in my fitness and started to see strength improvements. So that was this huge shift. And it was, it was such an amazing experience for me to really connect with my body and my fitness in a way that I had really never been able to do before. So that was kind of my first introduction to fitness. And I think it's a bit of an interesting experience because at that time, like even approaching the gym for the first time 10 years ago, like I was coming into the gym as someone overweight, very intimidated, fear of judgment. And gyms are not always the most kind of comfortable places to be when you're when you're in that place and you feel like an outsider. So going through through that fitness journey and kind of struggling with that, you know, I I I went through that myself. And then so many other women who are in my community were kind of sharing these same struggles with me that you know, I, I don't know where to start with my fitness. And especially when we're thinking about, and that's where kind of that inclusion aspect comes in, because when for so often you're looking at the fitness industry and you never see someone who looks or dresses like you, you never see that representation. It creates this, this sub messaging that fitness isn't for you and that you're not 
of this fit class of people. And so, you know, kind of just, just recognizing that, that that was a major issue for me that, you know, never feeling that I could do it because I didn't have those relatable fitness role models. So kind of, I felt that, okay, maybe this is an aspect where I can share this, this journey that I've been on. And so then that was, I feel, I, again, we're approaching now the fitness industry as an outsider that, you know, I, I look and I dress different, but here I am kind of coming with that, that kind of that heart and that passion that I want to share this, uh, this beauty of fitness with kind of my community. Um, and that's kind of where, where it really started for me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing because I truly believe that fitness is something that has a unique power to bring us together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in psychology, we refer to this as like a superordinate goal. Like it's a, it's a goal that's, that's bigger than, than any specific group of people. And so when we come together to work on our fitness, we're put into what's called a state of positive interdependence. And that's where kind of, despite our differences, we're all working towards the same goal together. And that's actually one of the most powerful ways that communities, groups, individuals with differences can mesh together their different and actually create that solidarity moving forward. So fitness is, is like this place we can all come together on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has the power to be right. But unfortunately, historically in our industry, as you're saying, it hasn't necessarily been like people do feel intimidated in gym spaces. There still is not nearly enough representation of all people seen in fitness materials, seen as, you know, fitness professionals. Yeah. So like fitness literally is for everyone, right? We all have a body and we all can benefit from being being pain-free, from feeling energized, from having that sense of community through fitness. But we need Mm -hmm. to do a better job of showing everyone that there is a space for you here and creating those spaces, I think. And I know that's something that you're Mm -hmm. uh, very passionate about. So we'll we'll definitely talk more about that. First though, I just want to ask you, like when you first entered that gym space, yeah. What do you think helped you to overcome that barrier of this is a space where I don't really see myself? Yeah. But I'm going to do it anyway. Like what was that right. within you where you said I'm still making this happen? Right. So a big part of that is um honestly like as a Muslim woman as somebody who wears a headscarf you just have to get tough, right? Like there's, uh, I've, you know, had derogatory comments my whole life, right? Um, from people who kind of like have that that approach and, and kind of lack that compassion and empathy. So that that's always been there for me. Like I remember uh, maybe 15, maybe 12 years ago, um, you know, I was at, uh, at a pool and I was wearing my bikini and, you know, this, um, this French lady was there in, in her bikini yeah. um, and, uh, you know, and so she, she kind of saw me, I was just minding my own business. And she, she like took the time to walk over uh, across the pool just to tell me like, it is so sad. You have to dress in all of that just to have fun. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so shocked because I was like, you literally like went out of your way to just come and share some negativity with me. So like that aspect of kind of getting, getting tough and realizing that this is my identity. I choose to dress this way. And if someone else has a problem with that and they want to kind of bring that negativity into my space, I'm not going to let that kind of tone down my light. Basically um, you know, I think that same, that same mentality uh, was part of, part of kind of finding my place in the gym as well. Mm, yeah. Makes total sense. What, like, what would be the way that someone could, like, if they're interested, if they're not normally yeah. around someone who wears a headscarf, 
who dresses yeah. before you do? What would be what would be a, an appropriate way to sort of open up that conversation in a way that doesn't make yeah. you feel judged? What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Like I love sharing. You know, I and I know that so many other Muslim women as well. Like I love sharing about kind of about my faith and about why I wear the headscarf. And it just has to come from that place of sincerity and wanting to learn. So so many times, you know, at the gym, like you know, I'll have lovely ladies who come up to me and they'll be like, oh, your scarf is so pretty. You know, can I ask more about it? And we'll have a fantastic conversation, right? But as long as it comes from that place of genuine sincerity, instead of approaching with that, you know, oh, you're, you must be boiling in that, right? Like it needs to come from sincerity and curiosity instead of a place of judgment. And it's very clear where where a questioner is coming from. But I, I, I absolutely love to share, you know? And so when, when it's coming with that sincerity, you know, I'm always open to having those discussions. I think that's a really important message for people to hear, mm-hmm. especially right now, when it yeah. feels like we have this responsibility, which is mm-hmm. it's true. We have a responsibility to be educated about other races, other cultures, other people. Yeah. Also, we can't know everything. So I think people are afraid to ask questions because they're like, well, I feel like then I'll be exposing myself as not knowing enough. I don't know. It's an interesting balance, right? Of saying like, it's okay that, that Mm -hmm. maybe you don't know as much about a culture and and being willing to be vulnerable enough to just ask and just say, this is a human and I can just ask someone a question. I think that's a really important thing for people to get comfortable with. That's how we're going to bring people together more, right? It's in having those conversations, having those moments. And I absolutely love that. And this is kind of one of the things that we were talking about in the Women Who Influence event, that we each have the power to create a moment of solidarity with someone else in every single inter- interaction, right? Like we have that, that ability to be vulnerable and be open and kind of ask those questions. And again, as long as it's coming from the place of sincerity, approaching with vulnerability without judgment. And I think also recognizing that, you know, um, when we're, when we're interacting with other people, if you've built up a rapport with someone and come showing that you're there sincerely wanting to create a solidarity moment with the other person, you know, that also looks like, you know, maybe you get, you, you spend some time kind of even exchanging some nice words and stuff first, like getting on a, mm-hmm. on a bit of a comfort level as well. And then having those kind of um, deeper discussions as well, I think, I think is, is, is helpful, right. To just break down those gaps. I think that especially in today's society, often we are very guarded because, uh, you know, there's this, there's this fear. Will I come off or come across as, as ignorant or will I come across as, as racist? Right. But I think that kind of breaking those down and, and reaching out with empathy first allows us to have those deeper conversations and, and connect in a more meaningful way. I love that. It's like human interaction first. It's almost yes. like, why are we leading with the difference? <laughs> Let's lead with exactly. the same. I love that. Yeah. And then we can acknowledge our differences and learn more about them. I think yeah. And celebrate them. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Really nice. Mm-hmm. When you think about fitness communities, how do you think that we go about creating more in inclusive, supportive fitness communities? How do we take yeah. responsibility for that? So I love this because, um, you know, in fitness communities, we know that there is still a lot that needs to be done, right? Um, in terms of creating more inclusion, more diversity. And if we want to be welcomed, we have to create a community of welcoming. And, um, you know, I, I think that a study that, that is really interesting that, that looked at kind of demographics within fitness communities 
found that many fitness communities, this was from Brock University in 2000, and honestly, not much has changed since then, mm. found that many fitness communities in there, specific two case studies that they looked at were very homogenous in their ethnicity, age, their social class, physical ability, and physical appearance. So you typically do find in fitness communities that people will group together with like individuals. And, you know, from, from a perspective of, um, you know, kind of grouping and, and people coming together, of course, you know, we gravitate to those who are, who are like each other, but those beautiful communities where people learn from each other, grow together, that's where that kind of diversity comes in. And that community of, um, you know, that culture really of, of solidarity is created, I think, both top down and bottom up. And that's, we know that from organizational psychology. So it really is a case that every single person in the community has a very unique role to play in creating a culture of welcoming, whether that's the fitness instructor who's leading it, whether that's, you know, kind of the gym owners who are kind of creating that, the facility itself, whether that's every single individual member everyone has that role to play in creating this culture. And so I think that it's really helpful to kind of reflect upon where are we in that particular community so we can each recognize like what is our particular role that, that we're called upon to play to create that inclusion. You know, I think that, that, that that's about kind of looking for those voices, highlighting those voices. And, you know, I, I really respect that, you know, you, you're, you know, kind of we're having this discussion as well. Um, you know, even sharing a, a bit about Ramadan. Honestly, most mainstream fitness podcasts, right, are completely ignore a non-mainstream fitness issues, right? So it's about looking for those kind of voices, highlighting those, recognizing what are other fitness struggles and kind of bringing that to light sharing that kind of diversity in our teaching, making sure our class is representative and comfortable for all of our members. And again, what you mentioned earlier, being vulnerable here is, is really a big part of it, having courage to be vulnerable because when we're opening ourselves up to diversity, you also are opening yourself up to kind of recognizing where we might be falling short. And that can feel scary. Like if you're looking at your class, is it diverse enough? Or if you're connecting with a participant and asking, am I making you feel comfortable? It is scary to open yourself up to maybe, maybe find out that, no, I need to do more. But having that courage, that's where that courage kind of comes in. That's, that's our role, you know, kind of in creating a top-down culture versus kind of for each particular member in a gym or in a community, that's that bottom-up culture. And that's where, you know, when we're interacting with everyone else, whether that's in a gym or online gym, it's looking for how can we kind of bridge the gap, create these moments of solidarity, let someone else know that I'm there for them, you know, and I'm sharing this space. And I think that especially now it's very easy that we silo ourselves in, right? We're always focused on get in, get out, be more time efficient, you know, head out. But that's like it, it, that to the cost of, of personal connection and human connection happening there versus kind of when we drop those barriers and connect individually, we have those moments where we're, we're you know, kind of coming together with based on our superordinate goals that we're working on here to be fit together, kind of asking how we can support each other in the gym. Maybe that translates then to deeper conversations where we're kind of celebrating those differences with each other that's this beautiful connection that happens there. And so then you have this, this ideally this community, this fitness community where from both top down and bottom up, we're creating a place where inclusivity becomes the norm. Yeah. yeah. I think it can, I, I really appreciate those sort of practical things that you can do as potentially the head of a community or as a part of a community. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we end up in this place where we look around and we're like, well, 
everyone here looks just like me and these are all my friends and this is awesome. And we have this great feeling in class, but that is to the detriment of those that feel excluded in that space. Right. So, so thinking about like, it would be easy to just say, we're good. Like good vibes here. Like it's fine But to say, (laughs) I want to do better. Like as the head of that community saying like, are we, are we educating about diversity? Are we talking about these issues? I think yeah. it's important and, and it takes the effort, yeah. right? Like it, it would be easy to just say, eh, we're good, but yeah, it's so crucial. This is like, I think this is the biggest thing holding the fitness industry back. We are mm. not inclusive enough. It's elitist. Yeah. And also yeah. these communities are, we're not showing representation enough. And yeah. as I said, like fitness is for everyone. Like I want everyone to be able to see themselves as potentially a more active person it doesn't have to look like you're doing handstands like walking on your hands (laughs) doing crazy deadlifts at two times your body like that's not it but that is the perception that a lot of people have of fitness like I'm not a fitness person like we we've got to get rid of that and learn how to integrate it like speak to people in a way where they're like, yeah, I, I see myself in that. I could do that in my life. That's very accessible for me. Yeah. And especially because as fitness instructors, like why this is so critical is that I, as a fitness instructor, we have to be sincere in that our goal is to make our community, like the community at large overall healthier. And that can happen by just continually focusing on this small elite of the population that's already in the in, into fitness like it has to be on a much wider scale and if there's massive populations that are overall excluded from fitness it, it that's it's just not happening right so once we kind of break down those barriers and recognize okay how can we can we bring in communities that have been typically excluded from the fitness industry? How can we show them that they are welcome, they have a role here, and they are absolutely part of this, what really ideally should be this, this much wider scale fitness community? That's where real change truly happens. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. What is it about fitness? You've talked about this idea of a superordinate goal. So I have a feeling that's where you're going to lean, but what is it about like fitness specifically that has this incredible power to bring people together if we use it in the right way? Right. I think that in addition to kind of being that kind of, uh, and, and by the way, there's a lot of even um, psychology studies in, in the field of intergroup relations that have looked at how can you take two groups that actually are, are in a state of conflict. And the uh, one of the only effective ways to bring groups together is by having them work towards a shared subordinate goal. So this is a very powerful concept, right? But in addition to that, I think because in fitness, there's so much that's happening there, right? Like your body is in motion. There's hormonal changes happening in your body. There's like brain changes that's happening when you're, when you're getting fit. And there's such a positive transformation that I feel like that, overrides so much of the negativity that keeps us apart Mm. so yeah yeah and when you're experiencing that in a space with others it's challenging not to feel connected like we both felt it right Yeah. yeah um let's talk a little bit about your phd program that you're currently in um can you tell us a little bit about what you're studying and maybe what inspired you to go down that route Right. Yeah. So my PhD is in health psychology. So I'm really looking at kind of specific barriers that prevent 
um, women in different cultural groups from getting fit and how we can address those from fitness programming. So it's a very kind of complementary uh, field of study to everything we've been discussing, right? How can we look at where are the shortfalls in fitness programming? And then my goal is to really create programs that address that. So, okay, if we're looking at, okay, lack of community and lack of representation is an issue. How can we create a program that addresses that to really build from this, this gap that we have here so we can start building up there? So that's really that objective with health psychology and, and recognizing a, a big part of health psychology is the concept of motivational interviewing, which is that in order to motivate someone to get fit, you can't just apply this cookie cutter mold of that this is how to motivate someone. You have to look at what are this person's specific individual values and motivational factors that will affect them and be transformative for them. And it's a process almost of, of individual coaching of, of allowing a person to kind of connect deeper with their own motivation. So you can also apply that on a community group, so on a community level. So that's kind of a lot of a lot of times what we're doing in our community where we're sharing um, you know, in, in, in my community for for this group what is motivational for for this group to kind of empower this members of this group to feel uniquely motivated to get fit so applying the principles of health psychology is effective no matter no matter what level that you're working at whether that's individual or group so it's it's such a fascinating field um, and it ties very nicely into fitness programming um, and particularly you know kind of what really inspired me to um, dive more deeply into this, not only from my, from my own experience, really from, from kind of coming into the fitness industry and feeling that exclusion, but, you know, inside of the, of the fitness industry, we were talking about how, you know, oftentimes there's that inclusion isn't there specifically, even there's been this history of, of, you know, Muslim women being excluded from fitness, right. And particularly with the headscarf, um, with headscarf bands. Um, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the athlete, um, Bill Fleece father, she was, you know, this uh, fantastic basketball player, uh, a top athlete. She scored over 3,000 points in her high school career. She was on track to play in FIBA. And there was a rule there that you couldn't wear the headscarf in playing. That, it was so devastating to even hear that. Like she had to give up her basketball career at the height of it, right? I mean, like she, she was, she broke both male and female scoring records in Massachusetts, but she wasn't able to take that next step because of a headscarf ban. So she actually, she was petitioning FIBA after, and then um, they actually changed, she was involved in changing that regulation. So now headscarves are allowed to be worn while playing, which is amazing. But coming kind of from seeing stories like this about, you know, kind of that exclusion that's happening here and really wanting to kind of create that change so that, you know, when there's a space where you feel excluded, then it's like, all right, we're going to create our own space. And then that's really, you know, what's, what's been a process of kind of diving into the fitness industry and creating this community and, and, you know, creating a place where other people who, again, haven't felt welcome or invited or, or represented in fitness can finally see themselves and, and, and moving forwards from there. So that's really been, been, uh, been such an amazing experience to connect with so many women who just like me, they never saw themselves represented that imagine that's the thing that's holding them back from living a healthier life, just that lack of representation. And once you fill in that gap, that that person's entire life is transformed their family's life is transformed their energy everything like it, and it all kind of comes down to this so you really kind of get uh, an understanding and appreciation of just how powerful that inclusion and representation really can be 
Are there any other, like besides representation, are there any other sort of cultural or religious barriers that Muslim women face as they look to get into fitness? Mm, it's interesting. So, um, you know, I mean, for there's uh, 1.8 billion Muslims in the world, right, from all different cultures around the world, you know, so, so definitely whether, you know, we're talking about Malaysian women or Indian women or, you know, I, I think obviously there's going to be different cultural challenges um, from all over the world, right? So, um, you know, you can't, uh, I guess, really kind of create a like a like a brushstroke like it's not a homogenous group mm -hmm. so um obviously kind of that's the case of looking within each specific community and what are the challenges that this specific community faces is it lack of access here um you know what are the facilities that are available there so i think that honestly like once representation is there it is almost the domino that allows all these other things to fall into place because then you're empowering an entire community to almost solve those those secondary aspects you know and so just speaking from from my from my own community from my from my own experience like once once you allow people to kind of see that no matter their age right whether they're kind of 18 or 60 you know these are women who traditionally haven't haven't seen themselves in fitness once they see that that's kind of where they they start getting that motivation and getting involved um and so that's kind of the experience that i've had in in, in my community Cool. That makes total sense. It's almost like yeah. once you see someone, you start to believe that you could do it too. You're like, oh, exactly. that limiting sort of belief that I can't enter that space. Now that's shattered. And then that has, that has the domino effect on everything yes. else, right? Because you've just There's been a good way to put it. Cool. <laughs> makes sense. Amina, can you tell us a little bit more about Amana Fitness? The service yeah. offer. I know that you have your Ramadan reset program, which is so yeah. cool. Can you just speak a little bit <laughs> to those things that you offer? Yeah. So um, a big part of, uh, of what we do is really geared around health education. So, um, you know, throughout the year, you know, we're really aiming on, again, pushing forward um, these messages and looking at kind of specific areas where there's a lack of health education in particular areas. So whether that's Ramadan, whether that's cultural foods, um, whether that's, again, that, that representation piece and, and looking for that and how can we create unique uh, health education in those areas. Um, we create uh, workout videos, again, which feature uh, Muslim female trainers, which is which is always uh, amazing to kind of see how everyone rallies around that and, and really enjoys that experience. Um, also, we have this kind of aspect of, of faith-based fitness, again, tying back to that motivational interviewing component. For many Muslims, um, having that faith component in the workouts is very motivating. So we always start off our workout videos um, with saying Bismillah, which means just in the name of God. And it's kind of that, that reminder um, in our community to, to really have that intention that your body is this trust from God. And actually the word Amana means trust. Um, and so it's kind of calling back to the fact that, that we do believe that our, our, our bodies are a trust from God. And when we're exercising, we're taking care of that trust. So tying in that messaging into the workouts that we do is so, so powerful because again, this is a, a messaging that's, that's not part of the mainstream fitness industry, but for, for, for the Muslim community, that's very powerful and changing habits. Mm. Um, so that's a big part, you know, kind of creating these, these uh, faith-based workout videos. Um, I have a, like a full bootcamp program that really kind of ties into that. Um, and we're working with Muslim women around the world to kind of continually work on their health and fitness. And, and again, just, just have that process of motivational interviewing with them. Um, and then in Ramadan, we do our Ramadan reset. So <laughs> we, we stay busy with that. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. And I bet 
I bet in having those faith-based components as mm-hmm. part of the activity, like just think about how much more spiritually people probably connect to the movement. You know, I think Absolutely. of, I think of what I might call mindful movement or what, like yes. it's integrated into it. That's such a wonderful yes. thing. So actually what a cool opportunity for people to not just see it as fitness, but see it as now like a part of who they are. No, it's so true because um, that process of connecting, uh, you know, more than just the physical aspect, right? Connecting kind of that, whether that's mental, spiritual, connecting those into that movement component as well is part of this aspect of holistic health. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, you know, we can't effectively address the health challenges of a community unless we're digging deep into the specific factors that motivate them in other uh, faith circles as well. Like um, I know there's a big uh, uh, push with, um, you know, kind of Christian faiths uh, for circles with having um, kind of that faith-based messaging in their workout videos as well. It's very powerful. So, um, you know, kind of tapping into that and, and sharing that is, has just been so amazing to, to kind of see that impact in our community. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. We'll link everything uh, in the show notes. So your site, your programs, we'll have all of those links for everyone to check them out and your social links and all that good stuff. Awesome. As we kind of wrap up the episode, is there anything specific, any thoughts that you have that you would like to leave everyone with? Definitely. I, I love this conversation. And, you know, just as you were mentioning earlier, I think that now there's so much fear around reaching out, right? There's so much kind of those barriers are very high and strong right now for most of us. And then lockdown only makes that more challenging. But I think that the more kind of courage and vulnerability we each have to reach out to others who might look or dress differently or or of a different ethnicity, different faith group, and the more that we can kind of reach out with our heart first and that empathy and connect on a real human to human level, it's not just about including other people. You yourself will be transformed from the impact that that connection brings into your life. So, I, uh, you know, I can, and, and I, you know, I want to appreciate the the listeners who are kind of sharing this message with us and kind of just invite invite everyone to kind of tap into that and kind of lean into that empathy that so often ignored in today's society but is so powerful, so transformative and so nurturing when we allow ourselves to kind of really experience that. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Amina. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.